Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Reputations are important, but they're not always reality. Silicon Valley Bank was the 16th largest bank in the United States, one of the most prominent lenders in the world of uh, technology startups. $209 billion in assets at the end of 2022. But in the last couple of years, its, its leadership uh, began to engage in more and more risky investment practices, and eventually uh, many of the investors uh, in the bank began to sell off their own stocks. And, on March 14th, you've probably heard this in the news, the bank collapsed financially, resulting in the second largest bank collapse in U.S. history. You see, its earlier reputation was no longer accurate, no longer reality. Reputations of the past do not guarantee current dependability and integrity. In the last three years, we've had that become painfully aware of that, I guess, as reputations, for instance, of government institutions and media sources and even medical profession have suffered serious setbacks due to lack of integrity. Sadly, though, this is true also of the organized church in our country. Theological drift and the moral failures of Christian leaders have taken their toll on the public image of Christianity in our land, and, and lack of integrity has been exposed there too. Well, today we look at another letter to the, uh, of Jesus Christ to a congregation in Asia Minor, and, and uh, the congregation at Sardis had a good reputation that lingered from the days past, but things had changed there, and their reputation was no longer reality. I invite you to look with me as we consider this passage. It's in chapter 3 of Revelation, beginning with verse 1. And I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Lord God, we do thank you again for this, your word. Through John to uh, these congregations that we've been looking at, Lord, and now to Sardis, and we pray that as we uh, meditate on this, Lord, that you would apply um, what we see and hear here to our hearts um, and lives and, and our church as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> you 
we have just about wrapped up our new members class here at Maranatha. It's been a privilege to uh, meet with a number of folks and take them through that. And one of the things that came up in the last couple of weeks here as we consider what we believe in our church, uh, our constitution, like other Free Lutheran churches, states that Maranatha subscribes to three ecumenical creeds. We're familiar with maybe a couple of them. Um, the Apostles' Creed that we confess today and, and occasionally the Nicene Creed as well that we share. There's one longer one than that, less known, the Athanasian Creed. And it gives a detailed explanation of the Trinity uh, more than the other two. Uh, a portion of the Creed says this, So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, but one God. And it goes on to say, The Father was neither made nor created, nor begotten by anybody. The Son was not made or created, but was begotten by the Father. The Holy Spirit was not made or created or begotten, but proceeds from the Father and the Son. As we've looked at these letters in the book of Revelation, we have recognized them as coming from the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who dictated to the Apostle John then what to write, and they are then sent out to specific Christian congregations in Asia Minor. And each of the letters ends with the words, He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. The Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, is key to the effectiveness of these letters. He, he takes the words of Jesus and he applies them into the hearts of individuals, um, individual church members, and, and to the congregation. And, and that was the case for the church at Sardis, and it's still the case today. And that's what we pray for, even as we dig into these each time. Jesus starts out this letter to to Sardis in a similar way to the other letters of the churches by describing himself in some way. And this time his description is very short, but it connects he himself with the Holy Spirit. There, he says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And the seven spirits of God, as best as I can understand, refer to the Holy Spirit <coughs> who is present, you see, in each of the seven congregations. And we're told um, earlier in Revelation that the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And so Jesus is saying here about himself that it is he that sends out the Holy Spirit to each of these congregations. And, and whether we understand the angels of the seven churches to be literal angels or messengers to those congregations, they also are sent out by Jesus. Now let's just consider Sardis a little bit here and understand some background on that city. It's 30 miles uh, southeast of Thyatira, which we've covered before, and 50 miles northeast of Ephesus. It was known for its wealth and for being a city where gold and silver coins were first struck and where wool fabric was first dyed. It was a city that was built up on a mountain, a Mount Tumulus, which rose uh, 1,500 feet above the valley below, and it seemed then a natural fortress, relatively inaccessible by its enemies. However, there's a very interesting history of times when enemies figured out a way in and captured the city, and we're going to talk about that after a while here. <clears throat> there are excavations that have been found of, of remains in Sardis of a temple that was dedicated to Artemis uh, and to a local goddess no, known as Sybil, um, who was believed to have had special powers to restore the dead to life. There are also excavations that, sh that show that the largest Jewish synagogue outside of Palestine was there at Sardis. 
And Sardis was uh, under the Roman Empire at the time that John writes Revelation. And the Romans were very inclusive of all religions, as long as you didn't claim that your God was any greater than the others that were worshipped there at the, in the empire. Well, I just stop and ask, do you see some similarities to our culture even today in America? Some of the leadership in our land today would consider you a dangerous fundamentalist if, if you hold to one religion as the truth. And if you consider certain behaviors to be morally wrong, which others are convinced they have the right to do, then you better not speak your opinion very loudly. We live in a culture today where everyone does what is right in their own eyes and wants no one to tell them otherwise. Everyone's entitled to their own truth, even if those truths contradict each other. Well, Jesus' message to the congregation at Sardis, and to us as well then, um, as we look here, we see that, that this message is one of the uh, most severe denunciations of, of all the letters. He says simply this, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. There is a contradiction between the reputation and reality. They had a reputation of being alive. At one time, this congregation was likely full of spiritual life. People had come to saving faith in Jesus through this congregation's witness. They had gathered for worship together and to learn God's word. But things had changed. <clears throat> Perhaps they still had activity going on, still met together, but they had lost sight of their mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, lost sight of, of living in a personal relationship with the Savior, a reputation from the past of being alive, but in reality, they were dead, that is, spiritually dead. Going through the motions still of churchianity, but no significant spiritual life going on there. <clears throat> Christian congregations back then didn't have fancy meeting places, uh, like, for instance, that big Jewish synagogue that I mentioned, or, or the Greek temples there um, at Sardis to false gods. Um, Christian congregations met as house churches, maybe 30 to 40 people max in, in them. But as I think about reputations from the past and, and then what we see today, I'm reminded of what we see all over Europe and, and in our country as well. There are some massive Christian cathedrals reflecting times in the past when congregations were thriving, which now then stand largely empty. Churches that had reputations of being alive, which have only a remnant of spiritual life remaining. <clears throat> and you know that can happen in any congregation. Sometimes it's due significantly to demographics, as people have moved, for instance, from the rural areas to the cities. But it's also due to a gradual mission drift, as the word of God and prayer are neglected and significant compromise with the surrounding culture takes place. <clears throat> the congregation at Sardis had become what one commentary called a perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. Not all, but the majority of the congregation, it seems, had so fully compromised with pagan environment that the church was Christian in name only, nominally Christian. <clears throat> and Jesus speaks here then three imperatives, he says, that I give to Sardis. First of all, wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains. You, you see, though Jesus had described them as dead compared to the reputation they had in the past, here he goes on then to describe them as, you might say, almost dead, sleeping very soundly, needing to be jarred out of their sleep. 
And it seems that this congregation had so sought to blend in with the culture that they no longer were proclaiming the message of repentance of sin or the need to believe in Jesus as Savior from sin. No longer willing to say, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. At least, they wouldn't say those things in public. Archaeological excavations there uh, have unearthed some significant uh, ruins there, for instance, of that Jewish temple there at Sardis. <clears throat> and they found that carved into the stones of their altar were, were the symbol of the Roman eagle and other Roman animals that represented them loyalty to the Roman emperor and worship of him, right there in their synagogue. And if that was the case for the Jewish religion, very likely it also was the case for Jewish Christians in Sardis. <clears throat> that desire to blend in a little, be a part of emperor worship so we won't be so offensive to people. And thus, as I said earlier, they had become the perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. However, they still claimed the name Christian. And they still had the message in their hands, if they were willing to do as Jesus called them to do here. Wake up and strengthen what remains. <clears throat> the next imperative he says here is, remember what you received and heard. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I find it helpful to sometimes look back and remember some things from my growing up years, remember my family, remember my church heritage. <clears throat> and I grew up in a home with parents who lived in a personal relationship with Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And New Luther Valley Lutheran Church there in, in uh, Mackville had spiritual life and vitality as I was growing up. The Word of God was taught there. And <clears throat> my experience was that during my confirmation years, um, I came to a personal assurance of forgiveness of sin and, and peace with God. And reflecting back on that spiritual heritage gives me some grounding for my life today. But I don't assume that current spiritual life for myself or anyone else <clears throat> simply based on New Lutu Valley's reputation in the past. <clears throat> no, I remember that the central message there that I heard growing up was the need for each person to live in personal daily repentance and faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord and to then pass that message on to others who still were lost. And it grieves my heart at times to see how far some in the Christian church in our country have drifted from its central message and mission. There was a letter in, uh, to the editor in the Fargo Forum just this last week from a professing Christian lady. <clears throat> and among other things, she asked a question that disturbed me. It, she said this, Why are churches not sounding the alarm on climate change, which is killing far more people than abortion? Well, first of all, she's apparently unwilling to accept what the Bible says concerning the precious life of each child in the womb and that we have an obligation to try to protect those innocent human lives. And second, she's become convinced that humanity has in its hands to control something that the Bible tells us that only God has the power to shape. But thirdly, she's lost sight of the central message and mission of the Christian church. Not social justice or political action, but salvation of eternal souls. And Jesus calls the church at Sardis to remember its roots. Remember what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. Remember what you've seen and heard when you came to personal saving faith in Jesus. Keep that 
and repent. Turn from your compromise with the culture and look again to Jesus and his word as the only source and norm of doctrine and life. And Jesus says here, here's my ultimatum to Sardis. Verse 3. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now, let me tell you the reason that this message would so resonate with the folks there at Sardis. A little history lesson here on Sardis. There was a king named King Crucis. He he ruled that region at the time, and and he was the wealthiest king around. And he, he had built this city of Sardis up there on that mountain, this impenetrable fortress city. And King Cyrus the Mede came along, and he went to battle, and he, and he sought to conquer Sardis, but he couldn't get in. And so he set up his army, camping outside the city, surrounding it. And Cyrus was there for a while, watched from the outside, and he saw one day there was a soldier of King Crucis who was guarding the city up there above the wall, who accidentally dropped his helmet over the wall. And he watched as then later he apparently came down some stairs and out a secret door and retrieved the helmet. Cyrus saw this and he came up with a plan. He sent most of all his army over to the other side of the city. And he caused a great commotion over there, a, a diversion from his real plan. And then Cyrus's special forces snuck in through that secret entrance that they observed on the other side that was no longer being guarded, and they conquered the city. It wasn't the only time something like that happened, though, in Sardis. When years later, the Persians laid siege on Sardis, they saw that there was an area outside of the city where it seemed there were vultures circling and just hanging out in that area, and they never left. And you see, when somebody in Sardis died, they wouldn't bury them inside the city walls. Instead, the Sardinians would die throw the dead bodies over the wall at that same spot each time, and the vultures would come and eat the bodies. Probably smelled of death, rancid bodies over there, and nobody wanted to hang out there and guard. And so the Persians penetrated the city at that spot. Just when the Sardinians thought that they were safe, they were not. And Jesus is telling the congregation at Sardis here, Like in your history physically, so it is with you spiritually. You think you are alive, but you are dead, and in an hour you do not know I will come against you, he says. The Sardinians um, were living in a pluralistic and relativistic culture, and they sought to make peace with the rest of culture by ignoring, really, the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. And by so doing, you see, It kills the message in the power of the gospel. Jesus came not to collaborate with other religions of the world, but to conquer them and to rescue lives from falsehood and and to give them the truth, the truth of God's word that tells us that Jesus Christ is the only way of forgiveness of sin and eternal life. He says, you look alive, but you're dead. You've killed the message. And that might be true even of some churches around us these days. That in 
so emphasizing everyone is welcome, they no longer call people to repent of their sin and turn to Jesus. Instead, their message then becomes, well, believe whatever you want and you can still be a part of us. But is it possible that we, we may boldly proclaim within our church doors our belief that there is need for repentance of sin and belief in Jesus as Savior, but we can still tend to be rather silent out there uncomfortable telling anyone else that they need Jesus and that he's their only hope of heaven. Jesus admonishes the bulk of the congregation at Sardis, wake up, strengthen what remains, remember what you received and heard, keep it and repent or else. Because you see, if you throw away the message, then you also lose your own belief in the need for Jesus as your Savior and you go lost. But there is some encouragement here for the few. There were a few, he says, who had not soiled their garments and not compromised the message of the gospel. And he says, they will walk with me in white. And I see three promises here for the overcomers. First of all, he says, they will be clothed in white garments. And you know, military victors in that era would often lead a procession of followers and they would parade along in white robes celebrating the victory. And that picture gives us just a little glimpse of what awaits those who remain true to the gospel. There will be a victory parade, so to speak, when Christ returns. Joseph Stoll said this, Our, our compromising get-along culture may be having a big inning right now, but they will lose the game. Only Jesus offers forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life. And for those who remain true to the Christian faith till the end, Jesus promises they'll be clothed in white garments and they were white because of his righteousness, not their own. He gives them that righteousness. And he says also this, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. You, you see, in some of the pagan religions, a, a soiled garment would disqualify the worshiper and, and dishonor the God. And in earlier cultures, there would be a, a, a book that would list the names of all the citizens of that city. And lawbreakers could have their names blotted out of the book. And Jesus is stating that for those who trust in him, their garment will be white and no one will blot their name out of the book of life that allows them entrance to heaven. Your name is written down. You have reservations assured, he says. And then furthermore, he even says this, I will confess his name before my father and his angels. Hearing our name called off of a list can be an exciting thing, can't it? I, I've watched, uh, maybe some of you have too, the end of some of the state basketball tournaments and we see the awards given to winners after the game is over and, and individual names are called and each then team member comes up and, and gets their trophy. Well, I can't imagine a more thrilling thing than hearing my name called someday in glory by Jesus. Saying, yep, Father, Lloyd Daniel Kwanbeck, he's one of mine. How about you? Is your name written in the book of life? Are you sure? I love what it tells us of how we can be sure here in 1 John chapter 5. It says, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. 
He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know for sure that things are right with him and that you have forgiveness of sin and eternal life in heaven reserved for you. And the Holy Spirit gives us that assurance in our hearts as we confess our sins and as we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, the one who died on the cross for you and for me. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Lord God, we just give you thanks today for your word. Though the words to Sardis are sobering, they are needed. And they're needed today as well. Lord, we thank you that in Jesus Christ there is forgiveness of sin and eternal life. May we not shirk from that message. But Lord, as we believe that it is true for us, we also recognize that you say that there's salvation in no one else. And so Lord, help us that we would be bold as a church to share that message here and outside these walls as well. And Lord, we pray that you'd have your way in each of our hearts and lives. And if there'd be somebody here today who does not know for sure in their heart things right with you. We pray that even today you would apply your word to their heart, that they would see that as they are honest with you about sin, there is forgiveness available in Jesus Christ. And, and that is the central message. That is what we're here for. That is our mission. Lord, we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.